Welcome to Sheep Stuff You Should Know. This is Dr. Rosie Bush, and I'm joined here in Rio Vista um, with Ryan Mahoney. Yes, yes, yes. We were out. You have a you're doing a little research project that we were helping you with today. Yes. And my daughter Emily got to extract some fecal samples from the uh, rectum of a sheep today. She yep. learned how to do that. That was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was fun. She ran away after that one and didn't help with any why. others. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it either. It's pretty easy. Yeah, it's the glorious life of being a large animal veterinarian. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were we doing? What was that? What was that whole project? Explain what you're going to do now. You, we took blood samples, we took some FOMACHA scores, body condition, back end yeah. evaluation, yes. how clean or dirty they were. Yep. And then what do we do? What's that information going to tell you? Yeah. So from the blood sample, we're going to look at hematocrit, which basically tells us how anemic they are. Um, so if they are Would losing Would that be like the activity or, of the bloodstream or like? No, the, it's how many red blood cells they have. So with the parasites that feed off of blood, they then they would have less, fewer red blood cells. Because um, the body's pretty good at trying to maintain blood pressure, which is fluid volume, but the red blood cells can only replace themselves every so often. Hmm. So if something's eating up those red blood cells or they're being destroyed for whatever reason, you'll see that drop in the blood. So we'll yeah. be looking at that. And then the fecal samples? The fecal samples, we're going to look to see what, how much coccidia they have, which is, we've talked about coccidia before, but it's an intestinal parasite. Um, you do that by egg counts? Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'll be doing a McMaster so we can get how many eggs per gram they have in feces. So we're trying to be very precise and get four grams <laughs> of feces from these sheep. And they, they were very cooperative. We got what we needed. But yeah, with that information, we're also trying to see if we can develop a new diagnostic tool that'll tell us what species of coccidia we have. And then with the different farms that are participating, we're going to use that information to see if there are regional differences, environmental kind of inputs that make differences in what types of coccidia we have. And I, I know we, you talked about this with Dan, but since I'm I got this really detailed list. I'm going to go ahead and go off it a little bit. But the the um, the how many types of coccidia coccidia are there? There's in the literature, it's anywhere between twelve and fifteen. Um, but it's a global disease, so everywhere in the world this parasite exists. But only two of those actually cause disease. So if we're basing treatment decisions or control programs off of fecal egg counts, it can be a little bit misleading. Uh, huh. Without knowing exactly what we're dealing with, so. and do different different types kind of thrive in different environments? I would imagine. Well, that's what we're trying to learn. So they've yeah. done this type of study in Mexico and Brazil, and they have seen some of that. Um, but we'll see if California is. Huh. Yeah. And are you doing any um, like worm parasite checks in all this? Yeah. So like the roundworms, yeah. um, we will see those and we'll make notes of them. Um, but we're focusing on coccidia. On this uh, very interesting. Yeah. Well, that was fun. How many ranches are in this project? Hopefully, excuse me, by the end we'll have 60. And how many you got so far? Four. Four? It's only 50. I have a year. 56 more. It's not <laughs> yeah, a problem. Nope. That's not a problem. But I have had people <laughs> touch base with me. Have you since. done, has Dan Macon supplied sheep yet? He, we, he is on the calendar. 
Uh, I, was, I was kind of hoping that the sheep stuff you should know team was half of your four. Not yet. No. No. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, cool. Very cool. Um, well, anything else going on? Well, it's been exciting. We'll talk to you in a week or so. I know. Um, School done with the kids yet? Oh, my gosh. Not soon enough. Uh, <laughs> they're doing really good. But um, our last week of school is next week. And I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Summer yeah, we'll be good. They'll be in a summer camp, and so. Oh, cool. Where's that? Where at? Uh, YMCA. Oh, very cool. Yeah, Nelson's Grove. So, yeah, I can <laughs> have my whole day to do things, which will be good. That'll be fun. Yeah. Well, superb. Well, superb. Well, today, what I wanted to talk about was kind of kind of livestock handling a bit. Um, you mentioned that was kind of uh, interest of yours, and with your experience in Seabar, and I think you kind of provide maybe a unique perspective on the uh, on how to handle a variety of animals from a variety of production backgrounds and and uh, I just wanted to kind of see what you thought about you know different handling techniques and and uh, just different different ways to interact with livestock so I guess my first question I'd ask you is um, what what are the differences or, or do you see any differences between handling cattle and handling sheep kind of specifically like oftentimes those approaches you know you kind of have one approach that you apply to both species Mm -hmm. is what my experience has been but i i've becoming more and more of a advocate of they're two different animals yeah yeah they're definitely different i think with sheep you can use that flock at least sheep that actually flock apparently i didn't know this but haired sheep don't flock at the same as wool sheep do yeah um, I didn't know that, <laughs> but you can use the, and you can do this to an extent with cattle, but more so with sheep. I feel like you can use that leader. If you can get one to go, you know, it kind of helps that flow go a lot better. Whereas with cattle, you can move them independently pretty well. You know, like you can yeah. split cattle off pretty easily. And yeah. Yeah. I, that's definitely a major difference. The, um, have you used any, um, lead sheep at all in any of your work or? been around any lead sheep no so most of the work that i have done is you know with individuals in like a barn yeah. type situation but when i've been on ranches i've observed people doing that and it's really nice when yeah you know it seems like it works pretty successfully yeah i've noticed i've noticed just in my travels that lead sheep are very helpful especially if if, if the if the lead sheep are kind of acclimated or part of the sheep that they're leading, then it works amazing. Mm -hmm. But when you take lead sheep and you put them with foreign sheep, so like if you bring in a bunch of sheep and you try to get a lead sheep to bring them off the truck for you or something, like the lead sheep will walk into the truck, turn around, walk out the truck, and all the other sheep will just look at them like, what are you doing that who's for? that guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't trust him at all <laughs> but it's it's pretty interesting how that flock herd is 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 very unique to the bunch to bunch yeah kind of situation and uh yeah so in in your barn scenario um i guess if you're dealing with individual animals that's one of like our for me that's one of the things we try to never do is mm-hmm. never have a sheep isolated by itself because yep. they really freak out and so kind of in that application, how do you, um, how do you, you know, handle that sheep and get it to 
a low stress point, so to say. I mean, it's coming in with stress is going to sea bar and it has yeah. a problem, but you know, how do you, how do you broach some of those behavioral issues? A lot of it is just trying to be efficient and, yeah. you know, making sure that you have your whole plan in place before you even try to move that animal. So if we went and captured and restrained the sheep and then forgot something that, you know, like, oh, I didn't bring the clippers or, oh, I forgot this, then that animal is being restrained for that much longer. So a lot of it is just making sure that we're fully prepared before we even get there. Um and then, you know, I think a lot of it, too, is having extra people. So if I went and was trying to restrain one sheep in a 12 by 12 stall, we would be running in circles for a bit. And so if I had a partner with me, it would make that a lot just happen more efficiently and faster. And so and knowing, you know, just where their movement points are so that I can keep them in that corner where I want them and then slowly, calmly grab them where like under the jaw. Or, you know. So um, go, go ahead, go down that rabbit hole a little bit. When you catch a sheep and restrain a sheep, what are some of the techniques that you use that work really well? And maybe what are a couple that don't? For me, because I'm not a giant person, I really kind of have to use my whole body so what works for me is, like I said, just kind of slowly keeping them in that corner. And then when I do get close enough, I can put my my arm and like my, let's say, <laughs> if the sheep is going towards my left side, then I could put my left arm and my left knee out in front of their sternum and under their jaw. So it kind of keeps them from going, running past me. And then you can grab whether it's under their tail or over their flank, just their back end so they can't back away. And now you've got them in the corner, and I usually turn them so their butt is in the corner, and then I can do what I need to do around their head and on their body. How, um, what are, what are some of the no-nos? The no-nos. A big no-no is grabbing uh, a sheep by its wool. So they're, they bruise really easily. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a fine wool sheep or, you know, one of our meat breed sheep. If you grab them by that, well, it's very tempting because it's a lot of, yeah. you know, it's there. I think that's, I mean, in a lot of our, when we give a new employee, a lot of times that's the first thing they do. They go to grab a sheep, grab the wool. Because that's the easiest the thing handle. to grab, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's like grabbing someone by the hair. It kind of yeah. hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. 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 And if we're dealing with, you know, show sheep, they get shorn really close. Yeah. And you see those defects. So it's, you know, definitely as tempting as it may be, don't grab them by the wool. Um, you know, and I mean, ruminants in general tend to have bacteria circulating in their blood because of their rumen and they're really they're incredible animals but they tend to be more prone to things like abscesses and things like that so if you have a big bruise under their skin it makes them just more prone to that getting infected oh, i never thought of that yeah yeah i i've always thought of the no wool no grabbing wool is just kind of a i mean it's a very ineffective tool and it hurts them and bothers them yeah i didn't realize the way the bruising can lead to kind of abscesses and stuff so that makes sense. 
More than one reason not to do it. (laughs) More than one reason not to do it. You only need one, but today you got two. Uh, Yeah, that's it. What do you think about like leg leg hooks or ropes or, you know, different restraint methods, even like a dog to restrain you? What do you? I think leg hooks are really effective. Um, Back or front leg? Back leg. Back leg. Yeah. Um, I haven't roped small ruminants. Why, um, why, why, why are you so quick to say back leg versus front leg? I, I guess it's what I've seen mostly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that hawk, it bends the correct direction. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not overextending, you know, their joint. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Have you caught? lambs or yeah the front leg with the leg crook? we've seen both ways before so like when you do the back leg um usually they're away from you so mm-hmm. it's the closest leg it's easy to get and then kind of what you're saying the leg kind of fits into that hook fairly nicely um but then if they're running past you and you're trying to catch them i've heard that and and we've done it sometimes but not always but if you catch it by that front leg it stops them quicker mm-hmm. and so because you're taking them and they, they kind of roll down onto their knees a bit and you hold them like that okay. and it so it keeps them from just running away whereas if they do that and you grab that back leg they have so much forward momentum and they're pushing off their front legs that they can either break your hook or pop out of that hook a little easier um, when they're running by you but like i said if you're going from the back the back leg makes sense but yeah. i've just heard that i, I was yeah. just curious if there was a reason for that Oh. And you got to do it on the on the lower arm, never on the upper arm where mm-hmm. the muscles are. Yeah. But. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like using a leg crook takes some serious skill and technique. <laughs> it does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had more practice with it. I usually get really good October 15th and then I don't <laughs> use it for a year and a half. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then what about like ropes or anything like that on sheep? Yeah, I've not seen, I have seen a little bit of it. And I think it's very effective when you, when it's done well. Yeah. Um, I think there are some people that it can, that can do it very calmly and quietly and it doesn't disturb the animals very much. Yeah. Um, I've never done it, but I've seen it done a few times. Yeah. I can't rope at all. So (laughs) I, I don't do it. I use the hook, but I definitely have seen people, you kind of what you're saying, use it effectively. And then I've also seen people use it very ineffectively. Yeah. And so, I, I, yeah, it's a good point. However you're going to do it, just you need to make sure that it's that, that it's the, I don't know what you call it. It's the easiest on the sheep to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's different techniques and do what work, what yeah. you're comfortable with so that yeah, it's the best for the animal. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So when you get that sheep and you're restraining, what are some of the, techniques that you would use to kind of restrain a sheep do different things yeah so we and i'd be interested to know if you have different opinions but we usually talk about under the jaw being the break so if you lift their head up um not like to the sky but just lifting their head up kind of stops them and then if we needed to move the sheep, we would use kind of under their tail, lift under their tail, and it kind of, that's their gasp. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of how we would move them. Um, but oftentimes just for me, having a wall or a fence or something that I can 
kind of put the sheep up against can really help. It's nice to have some help. Yes. Some support. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. And that's definitely one of the challenges when it's open, just like, you know, we had to catch 15 lambs today and move them around and, and, um, you know, some, some lambs you're able to, you're able to grab under the jaw and then maybe just with a hand on the back of the head or in the middle of the back, they would go fairly Quiet. easily. Mm-hmm. And then others just yeah. would have nothing to do with it. And yeah. you got to, you know, They're hug, in hug the, the whole the thing air. and like, yeah. you know, move it along. And so, yeah. yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, for me, it's not a one, one techniques perfect for every animal. Right. It's, it's very much dependent on that. Yeah. And I think it also depends on what we're trying to accomplish. So for some things, it's, you know, like if I'm really trying to get a good listen of their lungs, I do need them standing Mm -hmm. so that they can, you know, they're getting a full movement of their chest. But if I'm trying to put a catheter in or trying to get something done, it might be helpful to have them actually flipped or on their side like we did this morning. Well, I know like when with them on their side to take the blood and do that, it was a lot easier for me to hold that sheep in that calm position. Um, we, you know, that, that way I was holding them today is basically where that back leg, you take one of the back legs and you put their, you put it kind of behind your knee mm-hmm. and then you can just take your other arm and you can kind of put it on that front forearm anywhere in that area. And it tends to restrain them pretty well where they don't really kick a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they were very quiet. You know, that that's that's a actually the some of the shearers kinda taught me that that's one of the styles of shearing that one of the guys used. The other kind that works pretty good is to take it and have it kind of sitting upright. And mm-hmm. it's that starting position of the New Zealand shearing style where you have it with one forearm up and the the head up and kind of sitting up. Like that, it kind of immobilizes it for a minute, and just yeah. sits there. So like taking the Fomacha score or something like that, sometimes that really helps. Yep. But it really gets to what you're trying to do because if you have it sitting up, you can't really take a stool sample. Right. You know, but <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a yeah, it really depends on what you're doing and and mm-hmm. how to restrain it. And to me, the most important part is to be able to have that sheep not move without you putting a lot of pressure on it. Because I mean you can lay on top of it and it won't move, but I don't think it wants a two hundred and fifty pound guy on top of it. <laughs> you know, needs a need you know, that's not the best way for the sheep. Right. So if you can get it in a position where it doesn't move a lot, it yeah. really really helps. And that gets into that, you know, if you put it against a fence or you you know, different ways. It just yeah. really depends on what you're trying to do. But just don't pull the wool, don't grab in the wrong spots. I do like the the hand the hand under the jaw is really important too. It's it's amazing how if you can hold the jaw between your thumb and two fingers, how that will move that sheep almost wherever you need it to go. Yeah. Just by that. And even yeah. if you mess up on all the other positions, it'll you'll still have some control of that sheep. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't have that jaw, it's a lot easier to lose. Yeah. So, so how do you feel about horns? Because you have sheep with horns, some. Yep. And they're I, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was taught, especially with goats, to never restrain them by their horns. Yeah, it's, I mean, horns are really tempting to grab onto. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that you can use the horns, but don't, it's not kind of like the wool where you just don't grab and pull by the horns. Right. Like still have all of those other things. So like if you take that ram 
and you are restraining it on its back, you can use that horn to help roll its head forward or, mm-hmm. you know, keep it from bringing its neck back. But you don't want to just grab it by the horns and try to bull wrestle it mm-hmm. down. You're better off grabbing under that jaw, rolling its head around, picking up the flank and putting it down that way. And that, so it's really, you know, yeah. when you see those horns, you just want to latch on and go to <laughs> it, but you can't, you gotta, you gotta, you know, they're, they're just another thing and they really hurt when they hit you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if I'm holding a horn, it's just so I know where it is. Right. Yeah. You got to know where <laughs> yeah. it's at. And yeah. I know some of, I've talked to some shearers where they say they like to put their leg kind of between the horn and the neck of the sheep. So the sheep is bent a little bit, but mm-hmm. that restrains that head similar to how you would restrain a jaw. Mm-hmm. And so once again, they're not pulling on the horn. They're not trying to control the whole sheep with those horns. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just a, you know, it's another scent. It's another, op, you know, another way to immobilize them. Yeah. So, cool. and it's all about trying, like it's, it's all about trying to do what you have to do, get them in position where they're comfortable and they're not, um, they're not fighting, kickings, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And you're able to do what you need to do with them without applying pressure. I, I think that's, the biggest sign when you're doing something wrong is when you're putting tons of pressure on that sheep. Like mm-hmm. if you're shoving your knee into their gut to try to hold it down, like there's some, you're doing something else wrong. Yeah. And you know, all the, so. Yeah. And they're going to fight you even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, makes it harder so. to do what you got to do. Yeah. So do you have any good horror stories of something that went wrong trying to restrain an animal or, you know, something that wouldn't let you or, you know, how do you, how do you handle those situations where you just get so frustrated? Oh man. So whenever we had Barbados sheep come into the barn, (laughs) it always comes back to those Barbados. We had to close all the exterior doors because nothing can contain those things. <laughs> I mean, we the stalls are probably, I don't know, maybe they're only five feet, but they're tall. Like I have to stand on my tippy toes to be able to see over the top. Um, and they just clear them. So we have to close the exterior doors so that when they get out, they're not running around the hospital. Um, but... You know. Is it kind of secretly a little bit of fun when they run around the hospital? <laughs> like secretly, deep down. De- no one's going to know that you said it was. it's kind of funny. but No one listens anyway, but right. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but after, you know, when there's some good stories when one or two got in the hospital and afterwards it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, so <laughs> when I was, it must have been like, I don't know. Whenever I was working in Seabarn, I started wearing one of those Fitbit things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had an animal get out, a goat. And I can't remember why it got out, but it got out. And all of a sudden, you're just like, okay. So we have our barn doors that we close. But then if it gets out into the general hospital, there's gates that need to be closed to keep it at least within the parking lot. And so... You call the front desk, tell them that that we've got an animal out. And when it's sea barn, they have no idea what kind of animal it could be. Be A lion. (laughs) A bucking bull. And and those things can jump. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I don't know why we ride horses and eat cattle. We should ride bucking bulls. Oh, I guess we do. But (laughs) they're so athletic. It's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so when this goat got out, 
Um, I sprint to that exterior gate. And then they usually, we have blood donors. Well, we used to have blood donors in a corner. And they usually all just go to that corner. And then they hang out there. So usually we could catch them really easily there. Now, I think the goats are still in that corner, our blood donor goats. But now the blood donor cows are across the street. So it'll be interesting to know how all of that goes now that those yeah. animals have moved a bit. Um, but yeah, so my Fitbit <laughs> for that day was like normal sea barn activity. And then that happened and my heart rate just <laughs> shot up through the roof. And yeah, it all went well. No one, I mean, yeah. the animal was captured and all that. But yeah. But like, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, animal animal handling and, and you know, making sure you're putting the welfare of that animal first and, and a really, um, you know, low stress handling and all those kind of things. But these kind of stories happen. Yeah. And, and I think, too, the key with this is I was sprinting for the gate. I wasn't chasing the animal. Yeah. Right. Because if I had ran after that animal, it would have just kept going. So I went to the gate, make sure it was contained. And then we moved it to an area where we could capture it mm-hmm. rather than just chasing it you yeah. know, around. So, But yeah, like, but I, th- I think it's, I guess the main point I want to say is like, these things happen yeah. and these animals get stressed. Even if you take every precaution you possibly can do to have it in a low stress environment, you have things happen. They're real live animals and and so, like, if you, to, to me, you know, sometimes you'll see, like, a, a video of, of something. And a lot of times it's a, you know, it's an animal that was, everything was done correctly leading up to that point. It's yep. just that animal didn't react like the other 10,000 animals before it. Yeah. Because it can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it, it sometimes does have it a mind happens. of its own. Yeah, sometimes yeah. <laughs> it does happen. And so it's really important that even when that does happen, that you just continue to, you know, be don't let your heart rate go crazy. You don't want to break the <laughs> Fitbit, you know, and just, you know, continue to work that way. And, yep. and it will get restrained eventually. You just got to calm down and figure out how. Yeah. But yeah, there's some wild stories. Yeah. We yeah. had, um, we had down here in the, in the hills, we had, um, one of our neighbors was hauling some cattle in the back gate of the trailer. Um, the latch broke on the highway and the door oh opened God. up and the cows got out on the highway. And so, you know, here's set of corrals. Everything's done right in the corrals. Low stress handling, load them up. The truck wasn't overloaded. The gates were latched correctly. Mm-hmm. But something happened and this thing broke and the door opened and you had this incident where these cattle got on the highway. And um, thankfully, we had a ton of neighbors around and everybody came and helped and got the cattle into a field and brought some portable corrals and they loaded up. No problems, no injuries or anything. But that could have been a really bad situation. But these things happen. Yeah. And so it's, 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 uh, I think it's, yeah, it, I think there's a tendency to pretend like they'll never happen when we talk about low stress handling, but yeah. these things do happen. Yep. So, and having an idea of how you might manage those situations. Yeah. Is, I mean, there, you can't plan for everything. <laughs> you can't plan for weird things, but weird things will happen. Yeah. Like my grandpa always calls it always plan on the unknown happening. Yeah. No matter what you're doing, yeah. you know, the unknown is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm always impressed seeing. So when I first started, we came out and when you guys were marking lambs and I, it was so impressive how you were, you know, brought, you had ewes and lambs in these huge fields 
and you were able to bring them into corrals. Can you talk about how you guys approach that kind of gathering? Uh, yeah. Um, so gathering is different depending on what we're gathering. Um, so when we gather pairs on alfalfa, we'll typically send one to two guys out first. Usually it's just one guy with his dog and the dog, um, dogs do an excellent job of herding the sheep into a herd. A lot of times if you just go out with one person, they won't tighten up in a herd because you're not as much of a threat to them as that dog, you know, perceived threat as that dog is. And so usually one guy with a dog will go out first. And then as the sheep begin to make their way to the corrals, more and more guys peel off to then basically encircle the sheep and then bring them into where we want to go. And then we have uh, basically a roll of wire. So it's a really wide, maybe a 30, 40 foot gate, but it's not a gate. It's Mm -hmm. just an opening. And then we roll that wire and lock them in. And then from there, they, they work back kind of the way they came through our corrals. Yeah. And so it's just, it's about introducing that, that little bit of whatever I'd call it, that little bit of healthy stress to get them to herd up. And then once they're in that bunch, you just slowly move them in. Don't react too much. Don't get too crazy. Don't scream and shout. Don't push them really hard. Just kind of work them towards your area slowly. And then once they get into that area, then you can maybe make some adjustments and put put a little pressure to get the sheep to go the way you want them to go. But just kind of slowly work them in. And it's amazing how well they do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's so quiet and... Yeah, I think the biggest mistake, especially with young pairs, is to go and put a ton of pressure really quick. So, like, if we took those dogs and, so to say, overworked the dogs, pushed, you know, pushed really hard, those lambs and ewes are going to be more prone to scatter and sprint away and end up with a small bunch in a corner. Rather, whereas if you go slow, take that little bit more time, you'll bring them in um, in a more controlled way and they won't necessarily sprint off. Now, it's funny. So in the feedlot, we deal with a ton of different types of lambs from a ton of different types of areas. And we'll get these beautiful banded bunches of lambs off of a mountain or a a range operation. And they work together beautifully through our corral. So we're able to walk them and they go good. You'll get others that'll be all white face, wool blind weathers. And those they literally just walk in circles. <laughs> and so you just have to make that circle just kind of slowly go. So it's like, you know, drawing circles on a piece of paper and just <laughs> making a whole big worm and just kind of keep going and going and going and going. Like, and if you try to break that circle, it does more damage than not. They'll, they'll climb on top of each other before walking through a gate 30 huh. feet wide. Just, it's amazing how those sheep are. And then you'll get auction lambs that are piece together lots from either pools or auctions or wherever. And every single little bunch of sheep, they don't know each other that well and they all act differently. And Mm -hmm. so if you don't have an aggressive, so to say an aggressive approach or an aggressive dog, you can't hurt them. Mm -hmm. You'll have this bunch goes this way. This bunch goes the other way. This bunch goes forward. This one goes back and you're just, you're pulling your hair out and you can't, you can't contain them unless you have good, you know, good, so to say, good pressure, you know, kind of an aggressive tactic on those to go, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas the, those wool blind white face, you got to take that exact opposite approach and basically just sit and wait and just go so (laughs) slow getting them to go where they're going. And then there's everything in between. 
And so it's really, I think it's really important to not, um, especially if you're dealing with a lot of sheep from different areas, to not lock yourself into one way to handle them. Mm -hmm. It's, you got to recognize the sheep, look at the sheep's behavior. And then once again, get them to do what you want them to do the least stress possible. So I don't know, that make any sense? Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you have to observe. Yep. Yeah. You got to really kind of put yourself into, we'll see what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, and actually this is a Temple Grandin deal. I was, um, the, the brilliance of her designs is she really put herself at the vision level of the cattle. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the mistakes we often make is we think they're auditory or they're completely scared of you. And so, you make loud noises, you scream, you yell, you push hard, all those kind of things. But really, when it gets down to it, they're visual mm-hmm. and they're looking to see where they're going. They're not just closing their eyes and running away. <laughs> yeah. And so, and the sheep are the same. So if you go into those, if you're if you're having trouble with a set of corrals or a system or something, kind of take some time to to put yourself at eye level where that sheep's looking and see what they're seeing. Because oftentimes it can be as simple as like a a an empty water bottle sitting, you know, on the ground over here that you just have to pick up and then all yeah. of a sudden they'll go. Yeah. It could be a little, it could be a jacket that's hanging on a fence post. It's kind of flapping. That, yeah, maybe not even <laughs> flapping, just yeah. it's different than the rest sitting of the there. fence post. And yeah. so they're nervous. You know, it's just, yeah. it could be so many little things. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, you just got to kind of step back when you're having trouble. That's what I always try to do is take a breath, step back, look and see what's going on. And then mm-hmm continue slowly yeah. <laughs> you want to say yeah at the facility at sea barn the all the panels used to be green and they painted them all white and when they did that like i was blinded by how white everything was and i just you could tell like cattle would go and come back like they just they couldn't see it yeah you know like they didn't know where that gate was or where they were supposed to go so then they'd circle back on you yeah <laughs> and yeah it's I don't know if we've kind of adapted to it because now it's been white for so long. I don't notice that anymore. But the other thing is having having poop on the walls helps a ton. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a joke. They need to get dirty, but you you get them dirty, that sense there they're more comfortable. Yeah, it's like a trail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yep. That like a loading chute. If you know we have aluminum loading chutes, and if it's after a rain and everything's sparkly clean, like sheep don't want to go on there. You take just a little bit of sawdust, throw it on there, and <laughs> can't <laughs> stop them. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just little things like that make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, what about some like, how do you restrain big animals? So, we we have. I've used all kinds of shoots. So we have... Do you the, have a favorite? Yeah. I like the self-catching ones because then I can use them oh, yeah. on my own. Um, uh, I can't remember if it was a WW or what it was, but uh, we used to have one of those. Um, and I believe there's still a self-catching one in Sea Barn. And then the silencers are beautiful. They're, you know, the hydraulic shoots yeah. for cattle. Um, they're amazing. And, but I've used Tico's and all those, you know, old style shoots and, um, they're pretty handy. Tico's are kind of, they're a process. 
<laughs> on our irrigated pasture, when I started, we had a Tico manual shoot. And um, I think, man, I, I hurt myself so many times on that. You got it up, open, and out. And yeah, <laughs> swing it back and forth. But, I mean, that thing processed so many cattle. There was so many go through there. And then um, I ordered, I put in an order for the uh, Powder River Hydraulic was our first hydraulic shoot we bought. And I put in the order for it and it showed up at the ranch and it was sitting next to the corrals and we were working the last set of cattle before we, um, before we, uh, swapped them out. And my guy, my guy Ramon, he worked for us for like 35, 40 years. He was there with us. And, uh, one of the cattle, you know, that, that gate didn't shut all the way in the front and that oh. thing swung forward and smacked him right oh on the head. God. You know, it's happened so many times. We all just kind of laughed about it. I looked at him like, you ready to install that other shoot? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, Ryan. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's do it today. <laughs> but, yeah, those yeah. Tico, man, those are, those are fun. <laughs> yeah. We have a, a scissor shoot. Is that what you call them? The ones that just kind of catch them? Yeah, like yeah. the old school Powder yeah. River manual yeah. ones. Yeah. And I'll never forget. It was brand new. I was probably still a resident. I was working with Dr. Angelus and he smacked his head on the body squeeze one where that yeah. little corner is. <laughs> then two hours later you come out and there's all this cast padding and duct tape around that ah. corner. <laughs> He's like, never again. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. No, now we run all silencers and oh my goodness. It's just, it's, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, it is. And I, I think you can't underestimate the value of, of good handling equipment. Um, and the way it pays you back, um, you know, like for us, the biggest way is workers comp, Mm -hmm. but then also livestock handling and safety and stuff and being able to do a better job evaluating the animals while they're in the shoots, because it's not as much work to get them in and get them out. So you're not worried about running stuff back and forth. You're more present to the current job. And I mean, it's just, it's been amazing the value of those you know, switching to higher end handling equipment and yeah. what it's done for us. Yeah. Well, and so for big rams that would come in, we'd put them in the self-catching chute because, they, I mean, they're pony size. They're oh, yeah, huge. they're big. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we wouldn't catch their heads, obviously, but we'd just contain yeah. them in there and work on them in there. Yeah. And that worked pretty well. But, yeah. What was the, what was the strangest animal you got in Seabarn? A reindeer. A reindeer? Yeah. What'd you have to do to it? It was so long ago. I don't remember. I think it was it like full antlers, everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was from a petting zoo for Christmas. I think it got into a toxic plant or something. So we had it on fluids and stuff, but it ended up going home. That's a fun one. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Save it. Santa needs his rain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. And for restraint on something like that, I mean, I guess in a petting zoo, it's pretty calm. Yeah, we didn't have to yeah. really put it into any kind of restraint. Probably um, the, I'm just guessing, but the bucking bulls are probably the biggest challenge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We usually sedate them. Even if we're putting them in a chute, we sedate yeah. them just so they don't hurt themselves. Um, just a light little bit. Yeah. And they do pretty well. There's some, so I've, I worked for a, lo- a while on um, a cow from bucking stock. And they're pretty well trained to shoots because they're used to being, they're usually either embryo donors or recipients. So they're used to being worked on. Um, And most bucking bulls are actually pretty used to being in shoots because it's part of what they do. Um, And I'm I'm just so impressed with how their handlers handle them. They use the ones that I have worked with use a hot shot, but they don't touch the animal with it. 
they that noise. It's like a clicker training for a dog. Oh yeah. They're used to that clicking on the fence line and they just move off of it. It's amazing. Uh. And there's one guy we worked with that had him train to load into the trailer. Never had a problem getting those things into the trailer. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So cool. It takes a lot of times going in and out of that trailer. Yeah. And they're performance animals. It's what they do. Yeah. You know, so it's worth that yeah and i think it, but that goes for even production animals right like i've worked with heifers that have never gone through a handling system and it's it's takes longer you mm-hmm. just have to take your time it works but heifers that have been run through an open shoot and corral system once before you work them in it it goes very smooth what makes a good corral system like going you know um i think the gates to me the gates are the things that really make a good corral system. Gates that move the right direction, move both ways. Um, to me, I like closing gates behind an animal. So it's frustrating when you're trying to move animals into a place and you have to get them even further in when they've already done what you've asked them to do just so you can close the gate yeah. the opposite way. Um, so I like that. I. I really like how you guys set up your corrals in the pasture or the fields where there's a set of corrals together so they can always see a group ahead of them. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty handy. Um, I don't know what you've probably seen a lot more corrals than I have seen. Uh, sheep corrals. Yeah. A ton of different sheep corral setups. Um, there's some pretty ingenious ones, um, some pretty unique ones and um, some pretty poor ones <laughs> yeah. so it really I, I think the thing that defines the corrals isn't necessarily the the beauty of them or the permanence of them or mm-hmm. anything like that it's the it's the functionality and it's pretty specific to the sheep you're running through them mm-hmm. and so i i really like the corral design where we were this morning at those those corrals yeah. um they're very compact but they're very effective and efficient and you almost open a gate and things want to run through stuff. Yeah. And they handle such a variety of animals from different places. They work pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've had problems in them, but um, I'd say overall, those are, those are, I really like that design almost more than anything I've been to probably cause it's fine. <laughs> but um, another kind of really interesting setup was, um, there was one ranch we went to and they had a series of circles. Like, so it was like a circle pen connected to a circle pen connected to a circle pen, kind of like a caterpillar. And you would open a gate, gate would go both ways, but you would open a gate and then the sheep would run in that circle and go into the pen and it, huh. and it flowed so easily. Yeah, It was pretty ingenious. And then they went to a double alley and loaded it, but it was, it was really cool to see that set up. That was yeah. one of the most unique, corral setups yeah. i've ever seen because i mean i that was when I, i've never seen anything like that that's really cool because mo- my issue with gates is a lot of times they're not in a very useful place mm-hmm. in the corral and you know you have in square corrals you always have a corner where if you're trying to get them to that corner where the gate is they usually run into this corner and then they go that way and with a circle corral it's, yeah that's really interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. I don't know if that system would work for cattle, but it worked really well for the sheep. Because I think with the cattle, I don't think you can make the pen small enough yeah. to 
because the cattle are so big. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you probably could, but I, I, I really, I was really impressed with that corral at how they flowed and everything. It was really neat. And it was, was just a series a of, design? no, it was portables, oh, which cool. was really cool. It were portable corrals. I mean, the panels were just standard, standard portable sheep camp panels that you'll run into all up and down the valley. Yeah. You know, nothing special, but not, they're all in good shape. And um, yeah, just a series of, you know, progressively smaller circles that then worked into this double alley system. And just, I mean, the, the flow was absolutely brilliant. I was really yeah. impressed with them. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there's other things too to pay attention when you're building corrals like that is, you know, look, pay attention to the sun, make sure you're loading the right way. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not blinded. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're not blinded. Uh, you can load into the sun if you have a sharp turn. Okay. I think, and it's a quick load after that turn. If like so, at our feedlot or cattle corrals, they actually load into the sunrise, hmm. but they're loading to the north, so they're not going to the sunrise, and then they make a quick turn, and the truck's right there, so there's no sun. Okay. Even though they're loading into the sun. Huh. But yeah. Yeah. I, uh, different things like that, and even like just in those corrals too, when we're loading loading lambs out um they load you know into the sun and then they turn left into the truck and then another horse so they're kind of horseshoeing into the truck mm -hmm. and um, but as the sun rises their behavior will change and they'll flow differently depending on where that sun's at yeah during the morning interesting yeah so you just you know every <laughs> once in a while that sun will get in that sweet spot and they won't want to go and you'd be like ah i gotta wait five minutes <laughs> but yeah I don't know. Yeah. Handling is such an interesting art because it's, I, the more, the more I experience it, the more I realize there's no one way. Yeah. Cause there's so many different kinds of sheep and there's so many different kinds of cattle and it's just the way that works the best for what you're doing. And you got to have people trained to those corrals mm -hmm. and those systems. Cause yeah. if you, if you try to do too many systems and change the guys a lot, you it won't work. If you have one system, but the guys don't know where they're supposed to go, then it won't work. If you have, you know, but if you, and you can have a really bad system, but the guys know how to use it really well, it'll mm -hmm. work great. So it's really, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's an interesting, it's just an interesting science in the true sense of the word science. Cause yeah. there's, it's constant discovery. Yeah. I don't think there's one way. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I worked with a vet that hauled his own chute yeah. with him. Even if they had a chute, this was his chute. And that's, you know, he was used to working with that chute. Um, and it saved, it saved the, you know, the client's money because it worked better. Things just went smoother. Um, and so at the university we have, it, they call it the gypsy wagon, but they have basically a wagon with a sheep chute on it where you need a ramp. They have ramps to come up and then ramps to come down and it's for preg checking sheep. And it sounds really similar to the one that Dr. Bravos described. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, I asked if I could borrow it and it sounds like I'll get to use it, but I'm excited for that because corrals are amazing. But depending on what we need to do with the sheep, having something to help put them in the right position to make that flow even more efficient, I'm excited for that. Do you, do you know any good, like, uh, 
I don't know, any good resources for someone who wants to, you know, someone's wanting to build some corrals or change their design or get somebody to come out and look at what they're doing and help them figure out how, is there any good resources? I, so I know there are some publications on the, the, through extension where they have those types of facilities, uh, designed. So much of that stuff is cattle based though. Yes. It's that's really, true. really hard to find yeah. sheep based stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at one for goats, but it was, so it was put out through USCA, but it's an extension yeah. publication and it's a, it's not a recent publication, uh, but they have dimensions for feeders and all kinds of things like, you know, yeah. um, how much space you need for the number of animals and things like that. So the UC actually designed the corrals that we were working in this morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. They designed the flow. Very cool. Back in the eighties. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, great. It works amazing. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I know they exist. I think they're harder to find. Um, but yeah, hoping to, we're working on, making a website so that we have access like easier access mm-hmm. to that information because it's out there but by making it accessible is yeah is i know the one of the good resources is actually like you pull open like the the especially some of the australian publications mm-hmm. the advertisements for like the day par yards or the different the different prattley or the companies that sell portable yards even if you can't get them in the u.s they have a lot of designs published for sheep yeah. And so I know those are kind of handy. Yeah. Um, but those are more applicable to like to building portable systems. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're looking to do kind of a more permanent deal, yeah. it's uh yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. it. I, I've always wondered. Yeah. I've been wondering about that because I have yeah. you ever been to Hoplin. I've been to Hoplin. Barn. Yeah. Their barn is pretty cool. They got a beautiful facility yeah. up there. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, the gates. I mean, each wall to a pen turns into another pen. And I mean, you can, Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing. Yeah. (laughs) There's some really cool shearing barns that have gates. Like back in, when I was in Australia, they had these, they had to have these gates that would swing and then they'd lift up and come back and then start over again. So like you'd have a pen and you'd have sheep on one side of the gate and the gate would progressively close but you'd just be, you'd have sheep behind them in that pen. And then once those sheep got finished, you'd, that gate would lift and then you'd pull it no all the way, way. back. And uh, yeah, it's a, it was really cool. That's some cool. of those designs yeah. back there. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That, when I look at something like that, I see a lot of things that can break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of broken parts. Too many parts there. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really cool. <laughs> I've heard a lot about your shoot that you have i've never seen it really you never saw that shoot Mm -mm. i'll be darned it's broken right now oh bummer (laughs) yeah i'm waiting for cables i need to rerun all the cables is it hydraulic it's pneumatic pneumatic yeah powered by air cool yeah yeah we have an air compressor in our shop that runs the power over to it okay so awesome yeah those are cool yeah it's great i really like the design the way they lead up to it. We need to work a little bit on the feed to the alleyway, mm-hmm. but um, I really like the flow of that. It's kind of a, kind of like an S turn, like a question mark a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that I really like the way that flows, but not all of my guys like it. So it might not be good. <laughs> <laughs> kind of goes with that theory. If you 
make them think they're going back to where they came from. Isn't that what those curves are for? Yeah, it's yeah. For me, it's you trying to get them to think they're going back to where they come from. But then it's also you want them to see the sheep in front of them, but not the sheep ten sheep in front of them. Okay. A lot of times, I think, because if if you're working a uh, like an animal, like you want them to see those sheep in front of them, but you don't necessarily want to see them to see you working on the sheep. Yeah. So the more you can kind of curve them into it, I think that's why like loading trucks, I really like that be having a kind of a sharp turn to load yeah. because the sheep don't see yeah. the truck and the trucker and all the action up there. They just see the sheep running straight and then yeah. they're just like, Oh, oh I'm on a truck. Yeah. That last turn. And they're on the truck. <laughs> hey, well, how do I get on a truck guys? Oh, Hey Joe. <laughs> Guess I'm in the right spot. Where are we going today? But yeah, no, I, yeah. So I, there's, there's so many ways you can do it. And, I don't know. It's it's an interesting yeah. science. And I'm excited. There seems to be more and more people talking about sheep handling now. Mm-hmm. It's still I I still think it's fairly um un unexplored in um, in the US as of late. I you know, back in the days there was a ton of sheep and a ton of research in it. But yeah, you know, it's definitely a definitely an interesting topic. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's all I got for today. I don't know. I don't know how long we recorded, but no uh, long enough. <laughs> um, anyway, well, thank you very much for joining me today, and uh, we will see you next time. This is Sheep Stuff You Should Know. Uh, be sure to check us out on our brand new Instagram and Facebook handles. At, uh, I think at Sheep Stuff You Should Know. It is a pun because puns are fun. E W E. Uh, so Sheep Stuff E W E should know. And uh, yeah, check us out. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah. All right. See you later, Rosie. See ya. Thanks.